Oh man, we are more than we think that we are. Isn't that right? Isn't it right that we're actually more than we often think about ourselves? Paul says that we have all things that have been given to us. I'm going to read to you out of 1 Corinthians chapter 3, something that was just blowing my mind this week. Truly, just to, just to meditate on it for just a minute, guys, just, just listen to me here. So then, verse 21 of 1 Corinthians chapter 3, this church with all these troubles and just weaknesses and, and they're fighting over trivial junk that, you know, it's like the disciples, like Jesus was doing these magnificent miracles, you know, and like changing the world. They're like, who do you think's the greatest? Which one, me or you? I mean, like, what's the pecking order here? And she's like, come on, like, we're, we're, we're fighting over mud puddles of insignificant stuff. And he's like, don't you understand who you are? Don't you know what I've made you to be as heirs? Come on, as co-heirs with Christ? In Christ Jesus, Chris McGathy is going to be a co-heir with Christ for eternity. That's craziness. These jars of clay, these weak vessels, and we've got God, very God inside of us. And Paul says to this messed up church, so then no more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, the Christian leaders of the time, or number two, or the world... Or number three, life and death belongs to you. Or number four, the present and the future belongs to you. The past is the past. You can't get it back. That's crazy. Like Christian leaders, they belong to us. We belong to them in Christ Jesus. The world, blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth and the world belongs to you. Do you know that? You're fighting with like property line disputes with your neighbor over your half acre. The world belongs to you. Do you understand that? And then he says, if that's not enough, life and death belong to you. Life in Christ Jesus and he has the keys to death and Hades and that's yours. You're going to break through. You're no longer shackled by death. And the present belongs to you right now. You own the president. It, the present belongs to you to execute God's will on the earth. And the future belongs to you because we change the future as we pray. We alternate human events. We actually hasten the day of the Lord in the future, it says. We change people's destiny because we pray. I heard, I heard a sermon this last week and, and it was a, a pastor at a crusade event with young people. And he says, I want to let, listen to me, young people. If any of you lost people have an old grandma praying for you, give up now. <laughs> Just give up because you're, you're going down, man. Like you are not going to stand against the prayers of that faithful old woman. Do you understand what we've been given? We've been given the keys to the kingdom. We've been given the power of life and death in our tongues. All things belong to you and all things belong to me. What do you think the devil's plan is as far as affecting our thinking about the reality of that? You think he's going to do everything he can to distract us from that? Let us throw off the things that hinder, Hebrews, and the sin that so easily entangles. You know why? 
Dick and I were just talking about this, because the things of the world, the non-sin stuff, just the worries and cares of this life, just normal life, those things hinder us. But sin, the stuff we say yes to and, and we bow down as slaves to sin, that's what entangles us. Let's throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let's set our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Let's run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. You're more than you think you are. 1 Corinthians 3 verse 21 says, or verse 16 says, don't you know that you yourself are God's temple? God dwells inside of you now. Romans 8 says, he will give all things to us. How will he not also give us all things? If he graciously gave us his son, how will he not give us capital A, capital L, capital L, all things? What's he going to hold back from you now, now that he's given you his son? You think he's going to hold breakthrough back from you? You think he's going to hold fruitfulness and abundance and multiplication and ruling and reigning back? You think you're just always going to be this Christian that always struggles with that same? Do you know who you are? You're a nation changer. One of you will put a thousand to flight. Come on. Two will do 10,000. Hebrews 1.14. Do you remember this? Angels are ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation. Anybody ever been in a presence of an angel before? It's a terrifying thing. People who did in the Old and New Testament, what'd they do? Fell down like they were dead. They come to serve us. Did you know that we'll judge angels? Paul tells the church in Corinthians. Did you know that we'll judge the world? You're more than you think you are. And it actually is so easy to forget this because of how you've been acting lately that we need each other for crying out loud. We have to have the encouragement of the saints. There's no hope. The enemy seeks someone to devour off by themselves because what do they start thinking? I'm less than, I'm not as good as that hand over there because I'm just an elbow. I'll never attain to that. Or I don't need them because I'm self-sufficient. The enemy's looking for people like that. We have to have each other to remind each other, this is who you are in Christ, Chip Stotts. Mighty warrior, your father in the faith to many. You prophesy deliverance and healing to people in your office every day. Do it more, stir up that gift. And we sit in little living rooms and we hear Dick Coons talk and pray. We hear Shem Hatfield talk and pray through the scriptures and then we remind each other. This is who you're made in Christ Jesus, Austin Hill. This is who you're made. Don't forget, you've got leadership. You've got anointing over you. Oh, that's good, because maybe I just wasn't feeling that way this week. I don't know. Maybe he was. Maybe he wasn't. Joanne Stotts. I wasn't feeling like I had a great week, and I came in, and not because I said anything good, but because the word of the Lord is powerful, and it broke something off of her. You're more than who you think you are. And I'm preaching to myself because I got to get up and face myself tomorrow and every day of this week and cast myself on his feet for help. So Lord Jesus, I pray you would change us from thinking less of ourselves than we ought. The disciples' problem when they were saying who's the greatest is they weren't thinking enough about themselves in Christ Jesus. They were messing around with piddly things. Who's the greatest among us? No, they're going to rule over the earth and angels someday for eternity. 
So I pray that we would not think of ourselves more highly than we ought or more lowly than we ought, Lord, but we would think of ourselves with sober judgment. I pray you'd open our eyes. I pray you'd help each one of us to remember the power and authority we have in Jesus' name, Lord. I pray that you would break off right now in the room condemnation from those who are under the weight of it tonight, God. From those who think they'll never be able to get over that or they'll never see deliverance in that area. I pray for one more fight, Lord, just to step up to the plate and call upon your name for salvation from that besetting sin. I pray for those tonight, Lord, who are encumbered by things. They're just, they're, they're, they're kind of held back. They hinder them. I pray the worries and cares of this life, Lord, would not hinder anymore. And I pray for sin who's entangling those in here in this room who are bowing down to sin right now. I pray for deliverance in Jesus' name that sin could be thrown off in the name of Jesus. I tossed and turned on Thursday night, going into Friday morning. I couldn't sleep. Lizzie knows it's been a rough night when she turns over and my feet are at the head of the bed. I don't know why I do that, but I do that so I can sleep. I was doing that. It's a bad night when I put my head at the foot of the bed. And every time I tossed and every time I turned, I heard the same thing in my head. I bet I heard it, I don't know, 20 times, 15 times. Over and over, every time I woke up and turned over in a restless night's sleep, I heard Romans 3.21, once for all. Romans 3.21, once for all. That's all I heard. Didn't even know what it said. Haven't been in Romans for a while. So I got up Friday morning, go to a prayer meeting, my brother Andy and a few guys. This is what Romans 3.21 says. I'm going to read verse 21 and 22. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. The expanded Bible is one of my new favorites kind of an amplified version. And this is what the expanded Bible says out of Romans 3.21. I think maybe we've got it up here. At the heading, it says, how God makes people right. And it says this, but now God's way to make people right with him, i.e. the righteousness of God, without or apart from the law, has been shown to us, it's been revealed, it's been manifested or made known. A way told to us or testified to or attested to by the law and the prophets. God makes people right with himself or this righteousness comes through their faith in or the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. This is true for all who believe in Christ because all people are the same. There's no distinction between Jews and Gentiles. Amplified, one of my favorite versions. I highly recommend having two or three versions in front of you for study. You get the whole gamut. English is such a small language. Greek is so big. 
Amplified says it this way, justification by faith at the top. But now the righteousness of God has been clearly revealed independently and completely apart from the law, though it is actually confirmed by the law in the words and writings of the prophets. This righteousness of God comes through faith in Jesus Christ for all those Jew or Gentile who believe and trust in him and acknowledge him as God's son. There's no distinction. I want to try for a few minutes tonight to lay out what the Lord, I believe, is saying about the difference between his righteousness and our righteousness and finish up with what it means for us that this was once for all and maybe a new way of thinking about it. So hang with me for just a minute here and I wanna walk through Romans. The law, when it comes to us, is like a plumb line or a straight edge. And what that does, I've got a wall in my house where the corner looks good this way. And if I walk around my living room and look, I can see a nice big old bow from top to bottom. And what that plumb line does is it shows me how crooked that wall is. And so the law, when it comes in, 10 commandments, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, it shows us how crooked we are because we can't even stop coveting for crying out loud. And so the law doesn't do anything to help us. It just points it out. It's a straight edge that says, this is how far off plumb you are. The law is not bad. Plumb line's not bad. It just kind of stinks. It's just kind of there. It doesn't help us. You can't fix the wall with the plumb line. But now, in verse 21, but now there's revelation. Apart from the law, revelation has come. The, the, the law brings judgment because the law just brings the awareness of sin. But now, apart from the law, we got this justification that comes. And I know you guys know this, but I'm just laying the groundwork. The, the, apart from the law is the justification that comes through God's sacrifice of his son. So we have this newness of God's work in Christ mixed with the continuity of God's work in the Old Testament times. So we don't throw the plumb line away and say, no, we don't need the law. No, Christ came to fulfill the law. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He hasn't changed. The covenant has changed. But there's a continuity now between what God said and what the Old Testament prophesied was going to happen. I'll put that my laws in their hearts and their minds. And each one of them will know me. And no more will you have to tell your neighbor, know the Lord. Because each one of them, from the smallest to the greatest, will know me. Said the Lord in the Old Testament. Thousand years before it happened. The Old Testament brings this continuity right through into the New Testament. And now we have revelation that God's righteousness came apart from the law. You guys know that. An internal righteousness came where before we were living by an external righteousness, trying to live by the law. The word apart means now we're apart from a legal relationship with God that's based on our work, our merits, our efforts. Now we can be justified without keeping Moses' law. Praise the Lord for that. I love that. There's so many laws. How am I going to keep them all? God's righteousness is not a supplement to our righteousness because it's a part. It's a separate righteousness. It's his 
righteousness. So, faith is the means that gets God's righteousness from him to us, into us. Faith is the channel through which his righteousness flows. It's like an electrical cord or a conduit that's plugged into an unlimited power source and it, and, it, and it runs my appliance in my house. My appliance is made to heat up food as a microwave. But unless it's hooked up with that electrical cord to the power source, it doesn't do what it's made to do. I'm made to live in God's righteousness, but how I access that righteousness is through the cord of faith. This happens initially at salvation when we say, I call upon you for salvation, Lord Jesus, amen. I want to be filled with you. And this happens every single day of our life after that. We live in God's righteousness via faith, and it works itself out in personal, personal righteousness. Initial faith at salvation, ongoing faith in sanctification, in us being changed from the inside out. His righteousness, one time, done, it's over. Our righteousness, if you haven't noticed, every living day. We have to have faith, and that's the means through which God's righteousness is given. But what is it faith in? Faith in what? And it's not so much a faith in what God will do someday for us. It's a faith, though, in what God has done already in Christ Jesus. So we walk by faith in what God has completed. Remember, faith in Hebrews 11.1 1 is the confidence, the substance, assurance, the conviction of things hoped for. What's been divinely guaranteed to us, that's faith. And the assurance and the evidence of things not seen. So theoretically, I think all of you in Christ in here would agree with me. Yes, that's right. Righteousness comes, God's righteousness comes through faith. I agree with that. Realistically, though, if you're maybe like me, you would say, I believe that, but God help my unbelief on Monday morning. I believe that, but I'm having trouble walking by faith today with this difficult situation in front of me. Help my unbelief. And I think there's a confusion. This is what I want to hope to unpack a little bit here to help. I think there's confusion that exists in the body of Christ between what it means that we have God's righteousness and then what it means that we walk in our righteousness. We have God's righteousness that belongs to him and then we have our righteousness that belongs to us. God's righteousness is how we get into heaven. Amen? We're judged based worthy of heaven or hell based on if we accepted God's righteous gift to us, the blood of Jesus Christ. That's it. It's over. One time. We're rewarded in heaven based on our righteous acts, though. As a person that gets reward after the fire or as a person that just escapes through the flames. And that's a big deal to understand that. Because what I hear is some people saying, you're perfect, you're flawless. And when God sees you, he only sees his son. And what I see, my opinion is, that leads to grace as a license to sin. On the other side, I hear people performance-based who say, I'm not sure if I'm going to make it in because I'm not doing very good being a Christian. I should be reading, praying, fasting, sharing my faith more. So why even try? And they live kind of a tightrope faith. 
Like, I, I hope I don't fall off into hell because, you know, God's making sure I do a good job. And what's frustrating to me about both of those is they've got truths in both. But the most dangerous truth is a half-truth because it's half-lie. And so half-truths kill us in the body of Christ. They make us completely unfruitful, I believe. So we have to have biblical truth. We must understand the difference between God's righteousness and our righteousness. God's righteousness apart from the law given by faith in Jesus Christ. But then Jesus says things like, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll never enter into heaven. And then Jesus says, don't practice your righteous deeds in front of others for them to see or you lose your reward. But then on the other side, he says, seek his kingdom first and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. And then you have Paul who spoke to Felix in Acts 24 about personal righteousness, self-control and judgment. You have Abraham who believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And there's a thousand other verses we could look at here. Jesus' last words to the church were, I'm waiting for an answer. Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. That was my answer too. And I listened to Leonard Ravenhill. He said, no, it wasn't. According to my Bible, Jesus' last words to the church in Revelation were, repent, repent, repent. Jesus' last words to the church were repent. It's funny to me because Jesus comes to the church and I heard Francis chants, you better stop sinning or else. That was what Jesus says to the church. That like his chosen ones, his called out ones. I'm like, that doesn't square with a lot of what I hear today. You're going to lose your lampstand. I'll remove you from your safe. You don't stop sinning. You got to turn from the work of the Nicolaitans and Jezebel spirit, all this kind of stuff. You have to stop doing that. Ananias and Sapphira for crying out loud. They come in and they lied about their offering. They drop dead. It's just crazy to me. Like to behold the kindness and the severity of God. There, there's this requirement that's placed on us that's not placed on us, it's placed in the life of Christ inside of us. But it's the Sermon on the Mount. It's there. This is what the Christian life looks like. And there's no way you can pull it off. And so I've given you my life to pull it off. And there's this, there's this aversion, I think, especially in our, our culture, we're kind of a laid back hippie crew, right? I mean, Rod kind of has the long hair and it kind of sets us apart, right? And so we kind of have like this against the law mentality, like I won't, I'm not going to be under the law. And that's true, we're not under the law, but don't forget all the requirements placed on the life of Christ in us that we're not set free from. We're, we're actually obligated, Jesus says, in Christ to actually walk at a higher level. You've heard it said, but I say to you this. You've heard it said, but I, I raise the level up to, well, how can we do that? We can't do that. Christ Jesus in us can. Again, this is not a heaven and hell issue. This is a rewards issue. Hold on to faith and a good conscience, Paul tells Timothy, because some believers have actually rejected that. They've had a shipwreck of their faith. It's so sad to watch a strong believer have a shipwreck of their faith, isn't it? And it just breaks your heart. But it's possible. So, God really hates sin. So, 
He is after my things in my life and your life, like pride, lust, lying, greed, addictions. He's after sanctification. He's after personal righteousness and holiness. He never leaves us alone, praise the Lord. He's always after those things. Because why? Because the Old Testament speaks to what the New Testament reveals. And so in the Old Testament, you had enemies in the land. You had the promised land and you had these, these people that had to be kicked out. Well, it's the same way today. I've got enemies in the land. I've got this pride, lust, greed, and idolatry, all this kind of stuff that the Lord's coming after to kick out. He wants freedom and fruitfulness for us. And this is the crux of what's on my heart. Unless we know and understand his righteousness given to us through faith in Jesus Christ, we will never learn to walk in our own righteousness. Sometimes we get that backwards. And I have to do the righteous things that a Christian does instead of getting Jesus' righteousness understood first. Revelation of Christ's righteousness through God to us allows us to then walk in personal holiness. And walking in personal holiness means we reign in life. Listen to this out of Romans 5.17. How much more will those who receive the overflow of grace and the gift of righteousness, and he's talking about God's righteousness, reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Personal holiness, it's like the Proverbs talks about wisdom, allows you to not be so stupid and make so many mistakes. Amen, older people that we made when we were younger. Like I don't maybe fly off the handle as fast as I used to because I'm learning to walk in righteousness, which is being slow to speak, slow to become angry, right? I, I avoid some conflict because I'm a little slower to speak than I used to be, right? And, and I actually uh, can avoid some strife by actually sowing good seeds and not sowing bad seeds, not burning relational bridges because God's not mocked. You reap what you sow. So there's, there's a benefit to walking in personal holiness and it's called reigning in life. Okay, let me recap where we're at and then I'm gonna land. Number one, God's righteousness is earned apart from the law. Number two, it flows to us through a channel called faith. Faith in what Jesus has done for us, past tense. And then there's this delineation between God's righteousness and our righteousness. And that we can't do ours without the revelation of his. I can't do my righteousness without the revelation of his righteousness in me, living through me. And then personal holiness and wisdom helps us to reign in life. That's where we're at right now. Let me finish with this. Go to Romans chapter 6. Verse 10. Now the death, he died, Jesus died. He died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way you, believer, count yourselves or consider yourself or reckon yourself dead to sin. It is finished on the cross. It's over. It's done with but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, because of your faith in what God has done by imputing his righteousness to you through Christ Jesus, therefore, do not now let or allow sin to reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. 
Don't offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument to wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. Don't offer yourself as a willing participant and bow down to sin that entangles. Because then if you do that, you become an instrument of wickedness, a tool of wickedness to perform wickedness on the planet. I was one of those. But rather offer yourselves to God as an instrument, as a tool to bring righteousness, your personal righteousness to play into your giving into your ministry, into sharing the gospel at a beach. This has become a tool for righteousness. God says, I want to use you here and at this time, at this place, for this purpose. And we say, have your will. Your will be done, not mine. As a tool for righteousness. No person is too far lost. They can be set free from sin in a moment. Death to sin, one time. Death to self, every day for the rest of your life. To follow Jesus, you have to take up your cross every day and follow after him. Death to sin, a one-time historical fact 2,000 years ago on the cross. It's over, it's done. That's why the worst of the worst addicts can be set free in a moment in Christ. They can lose their appetite. Some of you have experienced this. An alcoholic can be completely transformed in a moment. An addiction can be broken in a moment. Healing can come in a moment. But, although all that can happen instantly, we have this sanctification process, this personal holiness that happens little by little, from glory to glory to glory. And the more we behold of him, the more we become. And this is why we need each other. To remind each other, This is who you are. This is who he's making you. Do you remember who you were a year ago, Jason Walker? And look at what you're doing right now. Oh yeah, I kind of forgot that. Jason Walker. Jonathan Brickley. This is what he's put inside of you. I'm like, oh yeah, I don't feel that way. He's like, yeah, but that's the truth. And I'm like, yeah, it is the truth. We should have lunch more often. I need that. In fact, probably wouldn't hurt to meet with believers every day. Kind of like the church did. Because they grew more and more in their faith. We need each other to remind each other it's okay. Little by little. Yeah, you stumbled. Yeah, you fell down. But the righteous man falls seven times, completely falls in his life, but he gets back up. But the the unrighteous falls headlong and he doesn't give up. He doesn't get up. Remember who you are. I want to build you up in your holy faith. I want you to build me up in my holy faith. I want to walk in the righteous deeds that the Lord has for me that he's written before the beginning of time. I love encouragement. I love it when people give me a a word, a blessing, a rah-rah word. I love it when people look at me and they're like, you just blessed me with that word and that just, you're awesome. I'm like, thanks, that's encouraging. But you know some of the best words I've gotten the best words is when a righteous man or a righteous woman rebukes me. 
because it's like oil on my head. And when I get that rebuke, it's that plumb line that comes in. And they're not putting law on me. They're comparing me to the new law, the law of love. And they're like, check your heart, brother. I hear this in you and I love you so much I'm willing to tell you. It hurts my heart when I hear you talk like that. Or sister, when you gossip about that, it just hurts my heart when I hear that. I just want to come to you and tell you because I'm not going to anybody else. We're going to talk directly, face to face. And that plumb line comes in and it hurts, doesn't it? Because you're like, oh, I've kind of been crooked. Am I loved by the Lord Jesus? Am I going to heaven? Absolutely I am. I'm not going to hell because I gossiped. But I love the body of Christ because they come in, they, they, they break that off of me, that wrong way of thinking, and they help remind me who I am in Christ Jesus. You're more than that. And this is what Jesus has made you to be. And my personal righteousness goes up a notch. I didn't earn anything before God. He still loves me just the same. But me saying yes to that is getting rid of some wood, hay, and stubble. And I got some gold and precious stones and gems and now I'm learning to be unoffendable and I can turn the other cheek and I can actually bear reproach and people that maybe say bad things without lashing back out. There's great reward when that happens. What does he say? Leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. Well, it's hard to do when you've got an offended heart and it takes brothers and sisters to remind you of the plumb line and the love of God. Amen? I guess maybe let's title this sermon, Be Together More Often. <laughs> Love you guys. Let's stand up. Oh, Lord, we need you. need you to transform us by the renewal of our minds, Lord. I pray anything and everything that was born of the flesh that I said would fall away. And anything and everything that was from the Spirit, let it remain. I pray that you would just water these seeds that were sown. I pray against the birds of the air, stealing the seeds away tonight, Lord. I'm asking for revelation in Jesus' name for who we are in Christ Jesus. Open the eyes of our heart, God, that we would know who you've made us to be and the incomparably great power towards us who believe. Guys, listen to this. Keep your eyes closed if you would. Listen. Lift your eyes to heaven. I don't care. Just listen to this though. Listen to what God says in Ephesians chapter one. Paul's praying for the church here. I keep asking that the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glory, glorious Father, would give you, Lord, give us, elder ready to equip, give these people, God, give me the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we would know you better. I pray, God, that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened in order that we would know the hope to which you've called us, the riches of your glorious inheritance in each other, in the holy people, and that we would know your incomparably great power for us who believe that power that's the same mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Lord, I pray that you would reveal to us who we are. I pray that we'd be set free from 
mud puddles, Lord, when the ocean is just over the berm, God. I pray that we would know your mighty power towards us who believe and we would know the riches of the inheritance in each other, God. I pray, God, that we would see each other according to the spirit and not according to the flesh, God. I pray for grace to be together, Lord. It's hard sometimes to come home after a long day at work and go be with Christians. And we need grace to do it, God. But I'm praying for a raging community full of the Holy Spirit and life and love for one another. And they'd have all things in common. And they'd be of the same mind, God. And the Holy Spirit's oil would just make all the gears work smoothly here, God. This is nothing we can do. You do it. You build the church, God. But I pray a blessing over the church in El Dorado. I pray for many to be saved. Many more, God. We thank you for the first fruits on the beach. Now we ask for more, God. Bring restoration in this community, Lord. Bring healing in this community. We love you, we love you, we love you. Amen, amen. Bless you guys, bless you. Something? Jason Walker, everybody. It's actually something, uh, Lizzie wanted me to make sure everybody knows that uh, uh, it's Jonathan's birthday tomorrow. The, off the, the offering basket, just put Jonathan's birthday on the memo line and just drop it in there. And, and I'm not coming up here to give any special honor to you outside of what is owed a brother. And if we can take a moment to pray and just thank God for, for Jonathan and for his ministry to us and uh, let us minister back to you a little bit. Father, thank you for my brother and I thank you for all that you are accomplishing in him to the building up of this body in El Dorado. And for your purposes and, and your will, let it be done here through him in ever increasing amounts. And Father, thank you for, for his life and for our lives here together. We bless your name. Thank you for what you are accomplishing in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.